there's a part of us that's that intelligent and it has that sophistication. And that's the part of us that's part of nature because nature is that intelligent. It's that whole iceberg thing. We only see that top little 10%. There's so much else going on there. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 95 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren and my sister Renee is here. Hey there. And we're going to chat with our fellow biohacker, Elias Arjan today. He is our guest expert. He is from the company Biostrap, which Renee and I are both wearing. When we recorded this interview, I had just received my Biostrap a few days prior and I wasn't able to fully access all of the amazing information that the strap gives you because I had to collect five nights of sleep data before I could get a readiness score. If you're familiar with Aura, they do like a recovery score that's very similar. So I was like waiting to get that information. <laughs> and now Renee has hers as well. So we've had a few weeks to play with it. And it's been really interesting to take a deep dive in these metrics. You know that we love quantification. It's a really, really important piece of personalizing your health journey. And uh, Biostructures has some am amazingly insightful metrics that are backed. The way that they collect the data is just really, really impressive. And we'll let Elias kind of take a deep dive on that today. But he's a really awesome guy. He's been biohacking basically his whole life. I feel like we should just be related or he should <laughs> know our dad. And he came into this company really pretty honestly. He wanted to work for Biostrap because he was so impressed with what they were doing. And now he's an integral part of the company. He's not just speaking on behalf of Biostrap as an employee, but he's speaking as someone that really, truly believes in what they're doing. It's really innovative. And we cannot wait to share this piece of tech with you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, when someone gets involved in a company with a product that they already love and they're so, you know, just in love with it, I think that's so great. Like I would love to work for Biostrap because I think it's a really cool piece of technology too. And mm -hmm. I'm still learning. So I'm just hitting the two week mark right now. And I have to say, I appreciated the five nights of insight. Like, yes, it was like, I had to be patient because I wanted to get my recovery and sleep score, but I love that they admit like, Hey, we need five nights of your data before we can really give you good advice. And something else on that uh, spectrum is, you know, anytime I get a new wearable, my husband's always like, can I wear it? Can I try it? <laughs> And this is one of those things that you can't share because it is so personal. It really gets to know you inside and out. So you can't share it because it's all about you. You got to be selfless <laughs> piece of tech, which I love. I think that's so cool. And then even in the morning, you know, he talks about how you have to wait for the data to sync because it's not just this like two seconds of reporting. It's like going into the cloud, computing your data, giving you feedback. So that extra time is just totally worth it. Yeah. It's really proving its efficacy. I like that. I appreciate yeah. it. I'll, I'll wait all the time if I'm getting real time trusted metrics. Yeah. Um, so more on that and the metrics, but we love yeah. our straps. It's really comfortable. I have to say, I'm probably going to just continue my whoop band because it's just 
now that I have the bio strap, I'm like, oh man, this is really not, it doesn't feel good. It's, it's hard. It's kind of aggressive on my wrist. And when I work out, it hurts. Mm. Bio strap is super comfy. So yeah, I forget it's on my wrist. Yeah. Okay. You guys ready to learn all about Biostrap? <laughs> so a little bit about Elias before we bring him on. With a background in human kinetics and athletics, Elias Arjan has a lifelong interest in understanding the relationship between human health, performance, and behavior. As a serial entrepreneur, Elias has started his own businesses, worked inside, and been a consultant to Fortune 500 companies, startups, and nonprofits. Elias's early careers allowed him to circle the globe several times as a professional speaker, an actor, performer on stage and television, as well as on cruise ships. In recent years, Elias has been working to optimize individuals and companies as a consultant and trainer and a leading proponent of evidence-based biohacking in Los Angeles and beyond. In his current role as senior VP of Biostrap, Elias is fortunate to be able to explore all of his passions, health, business, creativity, marketing, sales, training, health optimization, and science. Biostrap is a cloud-based remote population monitoring platform that consists of proprietary hardware, software, and algorithms that is part of the next wave of technological disruption in human health. I love that word disruption. Just game changer right here. It really is. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for you all to listen to Biostrap and hopefully you'll just try it for yourselves. Great. Let's bring Elias on. All right. Welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you today. Oh, it's exciting to be here. Thank you both. Yeah. So you've been biohacking for a long, long time. I don't know if you want to put a year on it, but (laughs) I'm I'm old school. I mean, I guess I started and then I guess you could say technically I started maybe in the nineties in a way. So, uh, because I was a personal trainer at the time, but, uh, and I was trying to find new ways to be creative with the fitness training that I was doing and people I was coaching and then just even my own health. Um, but it, of course, the world's changed a lot. We've learned a lot about what's possible. And so biohacking didn't exist as a term, but I kind of say I've been biohacking since then. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So it was our dad before it was called that before what anybody knew what it was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's sort of just a, a way of life. So, I mean, you have so much experience and I think it, you come by it so honestly, what, what do you think is like the driving factor behind that? Like what drives you towards this like end of one lifestyle or, or the, I guess the curiosity to want to know more? I think just in the same way that our whole like biology is sort of like an ecosystem of things, right? Like of inputs and and cells and tissues. I think each human is sort of like an, you know, an ecosystem of things that happen in your life that make you who you are. Right. So I'd say one of the things would potentially be um, seeing people around me as a kid who were really unhealthy and that kind of told me something I didn't want to do. And then having role models of people, especially what happened. And there was a pivotal moment and I can, I can pinpoint it when I was uh, 18, I was actually smoking cigarettes. I was drinking alcohol. Uh, and I went to live with my grandfather to sort of try to clean up my life. And he was 68. So he was 50 years older than me. And I could not keep up with him for one hour. I wow. was like, oh, oh my gosh. Was like wheezing. And it's like, I could like, he was had me mowing the lawn and doing work around the house and like fixing the car. And like, after an hour, I was like almost on the floor, like passed out <laughs> because I couldn't keep up with this man. And then I realized wow. that Reality that moment, check. <laughs> health was a choice, right? Like he was 50 years older than me and he could completely kick my butt. Mm. Wow. Was wow. he a biohacker as well? 
I mean, he was just an old school farmer, right? So they were the ultimate biohackers, right? So he grew Sunshine up, like, movement. Yeah. He just never stopped moving. And when he was like five, as soon as he was probably, you know, old enough to walk, they had him like working on the farm. So his just whole life was, you know, in motion, uh, close to the land, uh, always surrounded by people. You know, all of the things now we talk about biohacking, we just put fancier names on them, right? We talk about like, you know, sun exposure and grounding and social uh, interaction and like they just did it organically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. Just no overthinking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Getting back to nature. That that was a moment where I realized, you know, I, I, I realized how bad I was, you know, in my own health and, and that I realized that, you know, here's a model of someone who if I follow that example to some degree, you know, I can also achieve that. So that's kind of my goal. He lived to 92. He was working until he was 85. You know, he didn't stop. Uh, and so, but you know, and, and in a good way, I mean, he wasn't even overstressed necessarily. He just was in relationship to his you know environment, to the people around him. And so I joined the gym the next day and kind of never looked back. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was going to ask you, what were the immediate changes? Yeah. I literally went and got like a gym membership the day after that and, and, <laughs> you know, started to cut down on smoking, cut down. Eventually I quit smoking, you know, um, you know, pretty quickly after that, uh, cause I realized what it was doing to my lungs and, uh, yeah, you know, just changed my life. So it was a really, it was that like, you know, and there was other things along the way, but that reinforced that, but that was the moment where it was like the, the clear transition and recognition that you need to change. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you started th- making those changes and you noticed things right away, like breathing I mean, I better. Or- yeah. I think that's kind of the problem. I think with maybe even for health and fitness in the sense is that a lot of the real changes people want don't happen right away. Right. So you, mm-hmm. you, you make a change, but you got to have that discipline to see it through, to get it reinforced. I mean, I think we do live in a bit of a sort of magic pill culture, right? This idea that even in the biohacking community that exists, you know, people are looking for that one thing that's just going to biohack all their problems away, you know, and and (laughs) it doesn't really work that way. The human, you know, like I said, humans like an ecosystem, you can't change one input and then everything else, you know, responds. You got it. You got to see it through. You got to find all these different things. Uh, and that's to me, like where biohacking becomes uh, real, you know, and, and people have to find their own way there. Yeah. It's this responsibility to kind of show up for your, your own science study day after day. So before you called it biohacking, what, what do you feel like was like the first practice or sort of self study that you did on yourself where you were like, Oh, I can actually, aside from going to the gym, which is something that, you know, most people have realized at this point is probably a good idea. Yeah, I think it came quite a, year, a bit later um, because after that, I was only 18 when that happened. And maybe when I was in, you know, a little bit later in college, I was maybe like 22 and I was a personal trainer and I had people come to the gym and I was their coach, right? So they were asking me, you know, you know, what about this program? What about this diet? What about this protocol? You know, and so there would always be like that new fad diet or that new fad fitness trend. You know, back then it was more about fad diets and fitness trends. So people would tell me about this workout. And I hadn't tried it before. Right. So I'd be like, oh, I guess I have to go try this so I can report back to my client and tell them what I thought. And that was where the biohacking began, because from that point on, and even to this day, like my friends send me a text message with like a picture of a supplement. And they say, is this any good? You know, or, or I saw this like product, is this, should I buy this thing? So 
I've always been that guy, you know, that you ask that question to within my social group, uh, professionally, even when I was a trainer. Um, so that was kind of where the biohacking began. That sounds familiar. The number of photos I have in my text messages with supplement labels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They take up so much space. I got to delete, delete, delete. <laughs> yeah. Is this good for me? Is this good for me? Yeah. yeah. So what was the next part of your biohacking journey from doing all of that, getting into personal training, studying supplements? What was next? It's interesting. Actually, I never got into this, but the next thing was, is, is when I was in college, I thought I was actually going to become a doctor. And so I actually started in business because I thought I wanted money. And then when I took a biology elective and I sort of connected with what can be learned about the human body, I changed to exercise science basically, uh, with the intention of going into like pre-med and, but I decided to take a year off. And when I took a year off, I went traveling and, um, I kind of started interacting with people. And I also realized sort of my, I don't know how to put this. I mean, I guess in retrospect, the language we use today is like my mental health wasn't like fully, um, balanced, right? Like I had a lot of stressful thoughts. I had a lot of things that like I wasn't able to uh, achieve a lot of mental discipline that I realized was impacting the way I was moving through the world. So I actually went to uh, live at a Buddhist monastery to study meditation. Um, so I decided to start to spend time exploring um, not just the physical, but the sort of psycho spiritual realms, if you want to call it that and understand what part of my life was impacted by that part of my consciousness. And I started to explore consciousness. So I went for the physical, I realized the physical was a piece of the puzzle. And then I wanted to explore what else there was. Yeah. So many pieces to the puzzle that we're, we're still unveiling. And I, I love how the biohacking space is constantly sort of like shifting its attention to a new piece of the puzzle. And I, I don't like that it becomes sort of trendy because I think we all have to experience our puzzle in our own time, in our own ways, but it is cool that there's always something new. There's always like an unveiling of something else we really do need to create a larger perspective on, or just like allow for it to settle into our own consciousness. Yeah. Humans are extremely complex. I mean, you know, if you start, once you start to understand the body, you start, if you understand anything about physiology, you start to realize like what an absolute sort of miracle of a conglomeration of cells, right? Like all these trillions <laughs> of cells have come together to make this human. And there's all these organs, and there's all these systems and the, there's things that aren't even under our control. I mean, our whole autonomic nervous system and all of those organs are doing these things, you know, completely without our awareness. Like if you had to be consciously responsible for, you know, creating a new liver, out of that cells and replacing those tissues. Like your brain isn't, you're, you're, we're not cognitively capable of that level of complexity, but our body right. does it all the time, right? Your body's rebuilding all of these cells, all of these tissues all the time. And we're not even aware, but there's a part of us that's that intelligent that it has that sophistication. And that's the part of us that's part of nature because nature is that intelligent. So, you know, th there's so much going on, you know, it's that whole iceberg thing. We only see that top little 10%. There's so much else going on there. Oh, it's one of my favorite yeah. visuals. So powerful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the human body is so complicated, which I think is why biohacking is so great. I mean, the whole idea behind the N of one experimentation, it does drive home that we're so complicated. We're also different, but to the other extreme, I think the N of one can be maybe detrimental. I don't know. Can you speak to what you think of like the pros and cons of this N of one experimentation that's happening? Yeah, it's funny. That's rarely brought up actually. And I've talked to some of my fellow biohackers about this. Uh, in fact, I think I was, I was even quoted in a magazine article. I mean, I, I did this 
long converse, long form conversation. I spent seven hours with the, the person, but one of the quotes they pulled out for me was at what point does biohacking become an eating disorder? Yep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like, I, I kind of stand by that quote because there is a point where biohacking, you know, slips into the dark side basically. And, and, you know, but I just find it interesting, of course, like in journalism, they always sensationalize. Right. So that was the piece they took, but I mean, there is that risk, right? Because biohacking can appeal to people who have OCD type tendencies and then they get hyper militant with themselves, you know, and they don't have the maybe the patience or even the self-love to be able to, to accept where they are and they get too obsessed with taking it into extremes. And, and that can happen with anything, right? I mean, that, that can happen with any type of any part of your life. Um, so I think that's one of the dark sides of biohacking, uh, potentially. Um, but I think the other one is um, the big one that is bothering me recently is the commercialization of it. I have minimized my social media interaction, but when I do go on my Facebook feed, it's like, you know, buy this thing, buy this thing, buy this thing. And it's all this new biohacking tech that Facebook is pushing to me because it knows that's what I'm into, you know, and and there's a little too much of it now that's being put out. And I don't know if any of it is worth it. Right. Like, and, and most people don't even have my level of training, so they might just fall for whatever's the latest, you know, gadget. Yeah, I completely agree. Being on social media is kind of overwhelming and, and, and having a podcast and being in this space, you know, we all get sent products and supplements all the time. It's like, try this, try this. You want you to be a spokesperson. I'm like, Oh God, like it's too much. When, when, when we just want to focus on the basics, I mean, I'm very happy to try and experiment with things, but like it's, too much. It's too yeah. much. I'm like, where, who can someone contact me and say, we want to spend, we want you to spend, you know, X amount of time in the sun and, and do a research study for us. Like that's the one that I want to be doing more of yeah. not trying your product. This is just that's like, right. we'll fly you to the Caribbean to lay in the sun for two weeks and see how it affects your, uh, your, your house. Yeah. yeah. Where's that person? Come yeah. on, sign me up, sign me up. Yeah. yeah but I, you, you hear the like biohacking is for rich people. I hate when I hear that, but yeah, I've, you hear that a lot. And then I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are trying to kind of, again, like you said, I think all the biohackers saying, well, here's all this free stuff that you can do. And, you know, mindfulness practice is free. Lying in the sun is free. Grounding is free. You know, uh, I mean, now it's kind of sad to say that it's harder to do this, but hugs are free. You know, I mean, hugs are a great biohack, right? So, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, are just part of the human experience. And like I said, it comes back to what I started, we started with is like my grandfather was a biohacker in a way, but they never thought of it that way. They just did things, you know, our, our ancestors. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of what we're trying to do now as modern biohackers is literally just trying to get back to some baseline that of how our ancestors lived, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and they lived close closer to the land, you know, they were more part of the rhythms of nature and the cycles of time in relation to, you know, the natural world. And, you know, uh, you know, their hands were in the earth and they didn't think that's good for my microbiome, right? They were just, their hands were in the earth, you know, and they were lying <laughs> in the earth and they had animals and they were playing with their kids and they were outdoors. And all of that was just feeding all of what it is to be a healthy human. 
yeah, so much intuition was involved and we've gotten away from that. We don't have intuition. We don't know how to listen to our bodies to naturally do that. So, um, it's just so interesting what we've tried to turn this biohacking trend into. And there was a certain article that came out that we were all a little disappointed about. And, um, I would love to hear your opinion and experience with that because you were very much a part of that, of, you know, someone trying to encapsulate what this thing is. And I think they got it wrong. Well, I mean, that was interesting because I said, like, I was quoted as being, you know, the, the two my two main quotes for me in there. One of them was like, at what point does biohacking become an eating disorder? Uh, and I guess to some degree, some of the rest of that article had I had some impact on in the sense that you know the journalist reached out to me. Um, it seemed like a really nice guy, and uh, and and actually, I think he is a nice guy. I think it's just this is what journalism has become, right? You got to kind of have that sort of almost kind of clickbait type of yeah angle writing to capture eyeballs in the media today so um but one of the things that i think is relevant for you and your audience was the fact that um i mentioned and because i basically met the journalist and i took him through the la biohacking community so i brought him to um next health and uh, peak brain with dr andrew hill and uh, talked uh, also to great labs or he's called osteo strong and I mentioned along the way, you know, that biohacking tends to skew um, white male, right? And it's just it's like, and that's just a fact right now. It hasn't, it, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon that's kind of started there. It's slowly been spreading more into more diverse diversity in terms of culture, uh, but, you know, and, and also more into women. But I think biohacking is a lot more complex for women too. So it's really taken some women who are like thought leaders who who had to kind of do the experimentation themselves and then start to sort of translate it for a woman's neurophysiology. So when I told him this, uh, I made a point of introducing him to a successful biohacker who owned a business in at Los Angeles, right? So I brought him to Sarah's uh, facility, Osteo Strong LA. And, um, what I thought was fascinating is when the article was written, uh, that was completely not included because it didn't fit the narrative, right? The narrative is that we're going to skew this, that biohacking is a male dominated space. So mm-hmm. the fact that I introduced the successful business owner, female biohacker, who's prominent in the community, you know, was not included because that didn't fit with the narrative. Wow. That's crazy. I have no words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember the day that article came out and I, I immediately texted Lauren, I'm like, look at this. And Lauren's like, kind of mad sure. about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I it was tried, a little bit expected. I tried to say in all sincerity that yes, it has started this way, but it is now, you know, it is opening up. You know, I've worked with some you know, prominent people actually, um, there's a, there's a, I can't believe uh, there's somebody I know who's, um, even sort of bringing, um, biohacking more to uh, almost the African-American community, uh, within the context of the work he's doing. And, and there's a lot of prominent women like yourselves who are bringing biohacking and sort of translating it to, you know, different communities. You know, you're talking about how it is because it is different for women. Um, you know, I, I found this out with myself, with my wife, we both started intermittent fasting together, uh, in the same time sinks and she was getting sick from it, like not sick physically, but like she just wasn't feeling good. And, Mm -hmm. and nobody, and this was, nobody told me at that time. Now it's become pretty common that when women look intermittent fasting, they do it differently. 
but we didn't know any better, right, at the time. And she just wasn't feeling good. And that's actually why in Los Angeles, uh, you know, because I, I run the community here, you know, we had a biohacking for women event at one point where we brought a bunch of p- prominent women onto a panel. It's hosted by a woman. I mean, I helped co-produce it because I kind of organized the thing. But, you know, we we tried to address the fact because once that happened with me and my wife, I realized, you know what, we can't all we can't treat women exactly the same way you approach men when it comes to biohacking. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first came across Bulletproof and I started doing the Bulletproof diet, more keto, uh, more fasting. And one of my friends who was a nutritionist at the time, she was like, what are you doing at your age? I think I was maybe 20, 25, 26. She was like, you're like the prime reproductive age. You shouldn't be doing that. And she was the only person that had even mentioned that to me. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it Everyone wasn't was widely it. known. I mean, it was, it was really, and, it, and again, this is the biggest, I think this is still, we asked about what's one of the problems with biohacking. I mean, I think this is still the thing. Biohacking really should be about bio individual wellness and you can't put everybody in the same bucket. You can't put women and men in the same bucket. You can't put a 25 year old woman and a 50 year old male in the same bucket, but you can't even put a 25 year old female and maybe necessarily a 45 year old female in the same bucket, right? Their protocols are going to be different. And then you have all of the other sort of individual neurophysiology, all that other bioindividuality to take into account. And that's where, that's where, like I said, the, the supplements and the protocols are all falling short because you're, they're all pushing the agenda. Once somebody finds something that works for them, then they become an evangelist and they go, this will save your life. This is going to make you the healthiest person. Okay. That worked for you. Yeah. Why did you become evangelical for that protocol? Right. And and this is actually the, when you talked about like the other thing about biohacking, that I don't like is I don't like the evangelists, right? I don't like people become evangelical for a product or a protocol because it worked for them. Mm-hmm. That's not biohacking. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's ultimately the problem with these supplement companies that want these folks, people, it's like, well, there are no promises here. We don't know. Right. And if it works for me, who knows if it works for you? That's where I really like wearables. And well, that's really why we wanted to talk to you today about BioStrap. Um, Because gathering data is the ultimate end of one, like being able to gain insight on your own body so you can make your own decisions. And then, then you know if this is going to work. That's yeah. not going to work. This is the real N of one. And this is actually, I, I, this is what I think is kind of real biohacking. And, and I, I don't want to degrade anyone who is doing things, you know, without uh, this sort of scientific N of one approach. But ultimately to me, biohacking is that N of one. It's, it's conducting science. It's, it's per, per individualized bio-individual research. And how do you conduct that? You know, we can go over that right now, right? You get, first, you have to get a baseline. Right. And in all research, you get a baseline. So where are you right now? Now, you know, people have been doing probably a lot of people get their annual blood work done. So you look, okay, that's one point, one data point of a baseline. The the problem with that is that a multitude of things could change in 12 months. So when you get your blood work done 12 months later, how do you know what impacted your blood work? Did you, you know, and also too, it's a long time to go without another input, right, of data. So it's a long passage of time. Now getting blood work every, you know, three months, I've talked to some experts on this because even as a biohacker, I was thinking like, how often could I get blood work? And they said, probably, you know, every three months would probably be maybe the soonest you would want to do it to see like the significant change. But again, complicated. I could be doing a lot of different hacks within those three month windows. So 
what do I want to do? Something like Biostrap, biometrics change day by day. So that's something that one, if, I, if I'm selective with it, I can get my baseline with my Biostrap. I can input one thing. There's the other thing about biohacking. You don't do 50 inputs at once because you don't know which one works. Input <laughs> one thing yeah. and then see how it's effect, impacted your baseline. Yeah. That's a good point about blood work. I think, you know, even, even if you did it every three months, well, the cost of that, most people aren't going to do, but, but things could impact it. Did you work out the day before? Did you have too much caffeine the day before? It's like, it's maybe good for a big picture, but yeah, I love the idea of something that you're looking at every single day. And so maybe, can you share with us what exactly the biostrap is measuring? So, yeah. So, uh, so Biostrap's basically, for those who are not familiar with, it's a clinically validated wearable. And that's the other thing two people need to realize that uh, with all the wearables on the market, there's absolutely zero requirement for them, to be, for them to have any clinical reliability in the data they provide. And that's true for the biggest companies to the lowest items. So no wearable has to be accurate according to, there's no regulation unless it's an FDA cleared device used for medical research. So, so whatever crazy. wearable, it doesn't have to be accurate. It could be wildly off. And, and there's a lot of, you look up research papers and a lot of analysis. Uh, there's been a lot of people analyzing this and, and not happy. And that's actually why I think a lot of the medical and even some of the clinical and fitness community has not adopted wearable technologies is because they're kind of waiting for it to be accurate enough to make health decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Biostrap Mm -hmm. has been in this space for five years where we've been trying to democratize clinical grade data. So we want to take the same data you would get in the doctor's office or in the clinic and put it in the hands of individuals so that they can start to conduct true biohacking. That's why, you know, I'm, I met Biostrap is a biohacker. The, this, the CEO came to one of our events here in Los Angeles and I just went, this is the ultimate biohacking measurement tool because I'm looking for something to quantify my biohacking and then the biohacking of the community that I manage. And so how do we do that? Like I said, blood work every three months, you know, is probably a little too long. I want inputs. I want to be able to get a bit more immediate feedback. And so when I saw Biostrap, I was like, this is it, right? Because it's measuring, um, you know, the basic parameters that people might be familiar with, with which is, you know, heart rate, respiration rate, um, which you know, there's a lot of things that impact those. Um, then you have uh, the main one. That's the big one. That's the, the key metric that everyone's excited about these days is heart rate variability, that HRV. Maybe we can dive into a little bit more about what that means and how that works. And then we're also doing, Biostrap's also doing SpO2, uh, which wasn't an important metric to the world. But you notice during COVID last year, all of the wearables added SpO2 because it became the de facto best way to, you know, everybody was buying like fingertip oximeters, right, during COVID. Yeah. So yeah, became, I bought one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, because, you know, that, that beca- that's what was happening. I think Lauren said, you know, you said you're in New York. I mean, that's what was happening. People were showing up at the hospitals and their, their, their blood oxygen saturation was so low, they were just like rushing them straight in and, and having to ventilate people because it's an important metric to understand. It's unusual for it to drop. So that's why most people went mo- monitoring it. Biostrap has been monitoring it since the beginning. And so we take all of those metrics and they, we build at the top of the application, there's three core scores. We have activity, right? So we're tracking steps and workouts. Uh, we have recovery and we have sleep. And it's predominantly gathering its biometrics nocturnally. And if you want, we can also discuss more why that's so important and why it's not only the, measure, the biometrics you measure, 
it's when you measure them. And then of course, with what reliability you get those metrics. Yeah. I mean, it, it nocturnally, you are more in a rest, digest, parasympathetic. There's not a lot of stimu, uh, stimulus. So you're really controlling those variables. Is that right? And yeah, can you t talk about the sensor? I think that the the red infrared sensor is such a, a novel thing. Most sensors are using green. Yes. So green, uh, red light and RR light, and for those of us who are biohackers, a lot of us are using red light therapy, right? So we're already familiar with the fact that red is good. Um, and, uh, you know, green light is, is sort of on that spectrum of blue, blue light. So, you know, do you want to be shining that into your body while you're sleeping? It becomes an interesting thing that a biohacker wants to ask themselves right away. <laughs> um, without going there, the, the red light also penetrates 10 times deeper into the body. So we're able to also extract uh, metrics from the arterials. Uh, so most of, most of the green light is, is doing more superficial readings just below the skin. Um, and so the, the, but there's a trade-off here. So red light is more intolerant. It's, it's deeper metrics and it's more accurate uh, in terms of what we're trying to extract, but it's more sensitive to light and movement. So if you go on a run, we can't do your heart rate with the BioStrap main biosensor. We need to use an external heart rate monitor because mm. we need that green light. So green light has a place, but, it, but for us, if we want to get really high quality metrics nocturnally, then we use the red light sensor for that. And to your point, Lauren, uh, that's also why um, the, the, that's why we believe that getting those metrics nocturnally is so important because you, get, you filter out all the noise. Right during the day, yeah. our biometric changes are a lot of noise, so to speak. Like, so let's say you know uh, you're driving, and we your heart rate goes to 120 beats a minute while you're in the car, you know, because somebody cut you off, or is that just because you are stressed when you drive? Is that your norm? Do you just like stress out when you drive, or were you thinking about something that was a stressful thing in your history? And your heart rate, because thoughts can affect your HRV and your heart rate, even your body responds to thoughts. So there's so many different things that could be happening during the day that are impacting those biometrics. But your baseline can be, your nocturnal baseline is a little bit closer to kind of who you are uh, biometric in a biometric science standpoint. And those changes that happen nocturnally should be based upon certain things you're doing if you want to quantify your biohacking. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, when I first got mine, uh, whatever the first reading was, I, I was walking around and I was like, we cannot gather information. You need to sit and relax. I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> but like, that's what I want the recovery metrics. If, if you want an activity tracker, go get a Garmin. But it's like, if you yeah. really want to know yeah. if you're truly recovered, this is it. Yeah. And, and that's, and I mean, we, we are completely fine with that. And I tell people that, you know, get your, wear your Garmin, your Apple watch during the day, and you can wear your biostrap nocturnally if you want, you know, and, and we even have airplane mode for those concerned about EMFs. And so you can put it in airplane mode. You can't do that with most devices. I think there's only two products on the market that do that. So you can, and then you just sync it in the morning and you get that recovery score. And really what that recovery score also tells you, doesn't even just tell you about your biohacking, but just tells you about your readiness to face stress, right? Uh, and that stress could be both physical, mental, social, it could be any type of stress because there's a lot of correlation between uh, that sort of, and, and the recovery is heavily weighted on HRV, but it's not only HRV. But basically, if you're going out to face the world, every day you're going to face stress. Stress is not always a bad thing. I mean, there's something called eustress, right? Which is uh, an optimum level of stress. If, if you didn't have some stress, you wouldn't grow. 
And, and that's true for us mentally as well as physically. That's why we lift new resistance training with weights, right? You don't get, you know, if you don't do the squats, you don't get that change in your lower body, right? You don't do the bicep curls. You need to create some resistance. That's a form of stress. Right. You stress your bicep, your bicep says, wow, this is tough. I need to get stronger. We need to do that in many ways. And I think, you know, without, we could, this, this could lead us down a completely another tangent, but you know, the whole idea of anti-fragility to me is one of the key things we should be talking about when we talk about biohacking. We shouldn't be biohacking to become sort of make life easy as possible. We should be biohacking to become as anti-fragile as possible so that yeah. we can be so resilient that you can throw anything at us and we are able to take it. Yeah. yeah. It's almost a level beyond resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. So that metric though in the morning, but again, you're not going to be completely anti-fragile every day, right? So it's good. You have your good days, your bad days. It's just yep. being human. Yep. So when you get that recovery score, you know, and I know that my recovery score is like, you know, whatever 30 that day, you know, that's maybe not the day to do high intensity infill training. I shouldn't be doing max like reps. I shouldn't go like go for my max personal record deadlift. I shouldn't even make uh, important business decisions that day because HRV is correlated with poor decision-making capacity when it's low. Because you're more stressed, you tend to make dumb decisions. That's why when people are more stressed, that's when they go for the donut instead of a good breakfast, you know, or what, what have you, because they're, they're just there. And, and it's a, it's a cycle though, because you go for that donut, then what does that do? That gives you that sugar rush. So then you need some more sugar to try to feed you because you, you're starting to crash in the afternoon. So you make another poor choice and you go through that all day and then your body is thrown off and then you don't sleep well. So you get up the next day and you're not recovered and you repeat the cycle again. And that's how we have all of these, you know, health conditions. That's why only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy, right? Because there's this environment and there's all of these opportunities to make extremely poor health decisions. And if you don't break that cycle, you got what we have now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now you can get free Krispy Kreme donuts and all these other things. So it's even, I get so triggered. I get so triggered. The dumb decisions just continue, but, um, but more on the recovery, I think I love the idea of building resilience and this anti-fragility, like we want to be, you know, harder to kill. And I I love this whole topic, but I personally use the recovery metric to determine what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. Can I do my high intensity interval training? Should I be meditating and taking a nap? And I think when people really get in tune with that, it it's life-changing when you can create your routine. You know what actually we find though is surprising. Most people realize they need to sleep and recover more. That's the thing that most people don't realize is they actually think we live in this go, go, go culture. And so they listen to even podcasts on biohacking and think, I need to push myself more. I need to do more. I need to train harder. And when they start using Biostrap, they actually have the exact opposite based on the scientific inputs. I need to sleep better. I need to take it easy today because my recovery score isn't very high. You know, you realize that you actually don't need to work out, you know, so hard a lot of the time because you spike your cortisol levels when you work out, when you're not ready to, you know, if you're, if you're already stressed and you're not recovered and you're, and then you stress your body more, you tell your body, your body freaks out. And what does that cortisol level do? It actually builds belly fat, right? It doesn't take it away. So you know, I, I, I'm, I was shocked to find myself when I started doing this and just even with my own sort of training, 
I don't need to, I used to go to the gym cause I'm like a, a workout freak. You know, I could go to the gym for two and a half hours and, <laughs> and you know, I'd be happy to do that. I was like, that was a pleasure. Not that I don't like working out still, but now I'm more on like, you know, optimizing my workout times and I'm doing like 10 minute bursts throughout the day, you know, cause I have a home gym now. So I'm just doing little workouts throughout the day. I'm doing, taking micro breaks. I'm taking mindfulness breaks. I go and stand, you know, in my yard and look at the sun and I, I've structured my whole life in a completely different way. And it's actually more about being at a, looking at your, that you actually can spend more time, I guess sometimes I call it self-care, right? But kind of being good to yourself, I guess, is another way to look at it. Yeah. And I think if you have a low recovery score, maybe it gives you that okay to be kinder to yourself that day. Oh yeah. Much more compassion. So uh, I'm a new Biostrap user. So I selfishly (laughs) am going to try to get as much information as you from you as possible. Um, so all the wearables out there sort of use like a, their own, um, equation for building their version of a readiness score. Right. And I've always liked aura because on top of the numbers, you sort of get some guidance as to how to go about your day. I have another wearable, which I'm going to discontinue very soon. Cause mm-hmm. I've been sort of disappointed in, um, the functionality of it. And I find that just the numbers without sort of any kind of guidance can, uh, I, I feel a little stuck at times because I actually teeter on the side of, I like to recover so much that sometimes I'm like afraid to put that strain on my body. Right. Can you talk about biostrap and how maybe you can share like what metrics are the most important, what goes into those numbers and how we can use that for functional purposes? Right. I mean, I'd say probably the first thing to start using Biostrap for in that sense is start to just really dial in your sleep. I think there's a lot of awareness now. I don't need to sort of repeat all the studies and the conversations have been pretty strong within the biohacking and health and wellness community in general, talking about the importance of sleep. So I think that's kind of the first metric to start looking at really is your look at your sleep and and start dialing in like what imports do you do that impact your sleep? Um, We probably didn't get you on this, but we also now have added something called a circadian score. So after we have 15 nights of your sleep and you said you're a new user. So, um, but once you have, if you have sleep lab, uh, which is a subscription, but once you have 15 nights of sleep data, we can start to make recommendations of when is the optimum time for you to go to bed and to wake up based on your own individual circadian rhythm. And then we give you a circadian score. And that basically, uh, Because the number one thing you can do to optimize your circadian rhythm is to go to bed and wake up at approximately almost the same time. And so we start to look at for you based on all those 15 days, when you went to bed, when you woke up, when was the best, which had the best impact on your biometrics. And we analyze that for you. And so we start to write recommendations. So you have a little thing that pops up, you know, what, four hours before bed, reminding you. The best time, optimum time for you to go to bed is at 11.02 p.m. tonight. And so that's something to start dialing in uh, and just generally starting to observe your sleep score. Because once you you know click in the score, you can see all of what's going down, like what percentage of deep sleep, light sleep, um, uh, sleep latency. Sleep latency is something not a lot of people talk about, but how long does it take you to fall asleep, right? Because uh, a lot of people go to bed, but they don't go to sleep. They're just lying there in bed with their brain sort of recycling the day. and so. 
when you start to look at that, Lauren, start to even think about like, does it, do you do well if you do like a quick little mindfulness practice before bed? Uh, we did a study with Therabody and the Theragun, and we found that a four minute sleep protocol with the Theragun uh, increased people's sleep 15 minutes. And their sleep latency went down like to like almost nothing because they were primed to fall asleep. So they didn't have that like mental racing moment. They were just, their body was primed to go into sympathetic activation. Their head hit the pillow and boom, they were down. And I'm a professional sleeper. I do that every night. I say I'm a professional sleeper because I love, I love to sleep. I'm a good deep sleeper, but I have to ask you the Theragun sleep protocol. What is that? Because Lauren and I just got... Oh yeah. So we did, if you look, we have a division called biostrap labs, which is kind of like we, uh, that whole conversation we had earlier about what products work and what don't we're trying to validate that for the wellness industry with the biostrap, because we have the ability to gather those metrics. And so the two of you, if you want, could join biostrap labs and you get cool products and you get to test them and then you get to, but in exchange for your data, it's, it's anonymous. We don't say Renee had this experience, but we uh, gather that data with a wellness company. And then we validate how their intervention impact the baseline biometrics of a larger group. And so we did that with Theragun and uh, we found that 87% of the people who followed the sleep protocol before bed would had inc- decreased sleep latency. So they basically fell asleep faster. And so that was, that was a finding that we didn't anticipate. And that's what science is, right? You don't know always what's going to happen. You can have a hypothesis, but then you test. And none of us knew that sleep, we, sleep latency would be the number one thing Theragun did. And so when we did that, that's what Biostrap Labs discovered. So yes, you do. We, I think you can, you can, if you got a new Theragun, you can look at about the Theragun app and you can do the sleep protocol and see how it affects your baseline sleep metrics with Biostrap. Cool. So my sleep latency has always been very good, but I have been using my um, Hypervolt at nighttime forever. That's just right. always been part of my bedtime routine. I'm going to stop using it and see if it changes. <laughs> Aha. Uh-huh. So the, here you go. This, yeah. this, this, this is biohacking, right? Is one of the things too, is you need to do things like that. So that shows you understand this N equals one concept. It's actually sometimes useful to pull inputs out and see how they change yeah. baseline biometrics or stop everything for a week and wash out all your supplements. Don't take the same supplement every day for 10 years, you know? Yeah. You have to have washout periods. You have to cycle. You know, I mean, I think protein cycling already became something that the fitness, you know, the the gym rats kind of figured out, right? That you don't take the same protein supplement forever. They would cycle through different products. But I don't think a lot of biohackers realize that. You don't take the same supplement for life. The body uh, is lazy in a sense that if you kind of <laughs> give it the input and says, well, I don't have to produce this anymore fine. You're just going to give it to me for free because the body's trying to be efficient, right? That's, that's, you know, we used to live in in an environment where efficiency meant survival. So if you can give it, you know, something where it's like, I don't have to produce that it will just go with that. And, and that can actually create, that's another thing, another dark side of biohacking moment, right? Is you can create a crutch for the body. If you're always taking that stuff, if you always take melatonin every night, the body will just be like, well, you're just going to give it to me free. I'll start producing. Oof, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a dangerous one. Uh, I and, used to get so upset when my supplements would run out, but now I'm like, ooh, an opportunity for something new. I mean, it's a hormetic yeah. stressor to yeah. a certain extent. Like, 
giving your body new things to react to. It's so important. Yeah. That comes back to that anti-fragility that we're talking about, right? Is creating different hormetic stressors in different ways that you're kind of confusing the body to some degree. It never knows what's coming next, right? It's like if you get up every morning and do the same thing at the same time in the same way, and all the people talk about that morning routine, that's great. But ultimately you would probably adapt that slightly. You know, you would do things like, you know, if you always do your ice bath at, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning, you know, maybe skip it for a day and then do it at like three in the afternoon. And you'd probably be like, what the heck's going on now? But that type of hormetic stressor is actually good for the inputs of the body because your body never knows exactly what it's going to face. And that's really how you become completely anti-fragile. Yeah. I think people are aware of that in the exercise and fitness world, right? Like you do the same workout you hit a plateau. Okay. I'll switch it up till I hit another plateau, but then you're right. Same thing for your cold plunges, your sauna time, even eating, right? This feast versus famine cycling. Like, yeah, the more we can switch it up, the better. And actually I, I had kind of a biohack fail last week. I tried a new sleep supplement. It, I always feel like it's a little scary when you try a sleep supplement, right? Cause you're like, it could go either way. <laughs> yeah. You hope it either helps or it doesn't do anything. But um, my husband had been taking it and he's like, I sleep amazing. I'm getting two and a half hours of REM sleep. Great deep sleep. I feel amazing. I'm like, all right, I'll try it. 10 minutes of deep sleep, 10 minutes of REM sleep. My heart rate was 90 when I went to bed. Oh, wow. wow. So stimulating. Well, you've had that before with an, with another company, you guys had totally different results. Yeah. 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 Well, and that, and again, yeah, coming back to that bio individuality, right? Yeah. You just brought up Renee though, uh, REM sleep. I just want to bring something up. Um, uh, we don't report REM, REM sleep at Biostrap, and that's because we don't report metrics that we can't uh, say we can't stand behind for accuracy. And just so you know, unless you have an EEG, your REM sleep is a guesstimation. I, I hate to blow this open for the whole wearable industry. They won't like me saying this, but I did a video uh, with Dr. Hill about this because I get this question all the time. I see this all the time. People say, I'm using my wearable and my REM sleep is now only 5%. Do I have a problem? What should I do? I'm panicking. And I talked to Dr. Hill, as I think you might know. I don't know if you've had him on the podcast or not. The great, yeah, great we have. We love him. Yeah, he was actually like, the first one to tell us that about yes. the REM sleep. And I was like, no, but now yeah. it makes sense. Cause now I look at it and I don't take it like minute by minute, but more trend. Yeah. Like, okay, and, that was and, 10 and minutes two hours. Okay. There was something that happened. Yeah. Yeah. But again, just so people know that idea that people start panicking and we did a video about this, that if you actually, the brain is so protective of REM sleep that you're, if you had a rat, there's very rare to have a REM disorder. So anybody who's listening to this and you think you have a REM problem because of your wearable, I want to calm you down and say, basically (laughs) you can safely, unless you have a severe sort of neurological or you're having severe neurocognitive problems, it's very unlikely that you have a REM problem. Just, just so everyone's clear. So oh, yeah, uh, man. I know. appreciate that so much that you just made that statement. And also that you don't have that in the tech. I was curious about that. That's the first thing I look for. I was like, where's the REM? Yeah. But I used to take photos every morning of my aura versus whoop REM scores. And I, I would do the side by side just because I thought it was hilarious how different they were. And now I don't even pay attention because I'm just like, this is such a joke. Yeah. Why? Like why? Yeah. And, and even light versus deep sleep is still, you know, going to look different on different wearables because they're all calculating things differently. Even the recovery scores between, you know, the, the different devices will be different. The best thing to do is look at your own individual trends 
Each device is accurate within its own self. So look at the individual trends of that device over time. So if you're using Biostrap, look at how your trends change over time, not only even just day by day, but week by week, month by month. And, and we have that built into the app that you can look at those trends and then you can start to try to understand, you know, am I trending in the right direction? Is my HRV trending up or is it trending down? You know, and that starts to give you some insights into maybe, you know, is your lifestyle changing in a way that's positive or negative? Um, you know, again, we can look at those individual day by day, but again, coming back to the idea of being obsessed about things that don't matter, you know, it, it, you don't have to kind of get too granular in that, you know, give yourself some space to recognize that you are all going to have good and bad days. And yeah, you're going to have a bad recovery score sometimes just, you know, take it easy that day, you know, and, and again, one thing I just want to mention about like low recovery scores for those of you who are very active or competitive, athletic minded, that doesn't mean you have to sort of lie in bed all day. You can do things that are like active recovery. So you can do foam rolling, you can do, you know, your Theragun, you can do uh, your mindfulness practice. You know, we have, we have, uh, there's, there's ways you can do active recovery that is more about priming the nervous system to, to increase parasympathetic activation. And so it doesn't mean you can't do anything. It just means that you change what you do. Right. Don't just sit on the couch all day. Our listeners know better than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so an another thing that I've noticed with the tech that I'm really excited about exploring more is that there's so much data throughout the night. So you're not just yes. getting an average in the morning. You can actually see point by point how your HRV changes, how your oxygen changes, how your respiratory rate changes. And I have to say, um, I thought the respiration changes throughout the night were really interesting. Right. I had COVID recently and I am still kind of congested. Yes. And I noticed that my respiration really went down because I'm surely breathing through my mouth at some point in the morning because I'm congested right now. Mm -hmm. And I could see exactly when that was. I thought that was just so fascinating. Yeah. That's the other, uh, say dirty little secret in the wearable space is Biostrap's probably to my experience, actually maybe one of, if not, you know, so the only mainstream device that actually shows point by point, all the measurements, all the other devices are taking everything and making an average. And, you know, they don't tell you how often they're taking their measurements. They could be taking their measurements four times in an eight hour sleep and say that that's your average, right? You don't know. Mm. They don't, they don't tell you that we show you, and you can even go into the settings page and change your settings. You can take recordings 10, every 10 minutes, five minutes, or two minutes. Now, other wearables, they don't tell you that they just do it the way they do it. And that's the clinical background that Biostrap comes from is, you know, we, we, some, <clears throat> We're even doing some clinical research where they need almost continuous continuous metrics throughout the night. Uh, but you can look at that. Yeah, you can look at your HRV. Where did it begin? Where did it end? You know, throughout the night, uh, your respiration, as you said, heart rate, all of these metrics, you get all of that detail on the on the page. And if you are a bit of more of a data junkie, I mean, that's a lot of information that you can sort of sift through. Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely one of the big differentiators, but that's also why it's more orientated towards sort of that prosumer biohacker clinician person who wants to understand the data we're doing more work to to we're launching something called the biostrap academy where we're trying to create more education around what to do with that data because i think we are still in a space in all honesty where all the wearable tech and all of this new you know iot opportunities to, for self-monitoring are all still trying to figure out how to communicate the data so it 
changes behavior in a positive way. I think that the yeah. whole industry as a whole uh, is trying to figure that out. You know, continuous glucose monitors, you know, started off just monitoring diabetes, right? And now they're trying to change, you know, people's other, other dietary changes that we can get insights from. And everyone's sort of working on this problem together. I think each company its own way. Yeah, there's like an explosion of data, but if we're not changing behavior, what are we doing? But yeah. we're we're on our way. <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting time. There's a lot yeah, of really exciting it, stuff. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm excited to be part of it. I mean, we talk to you know on a regular basis with the continuous glucose monitor companies and talk about you know we're creating content with them. There's a lot of lot of this sort of monitoring opportunity, um, and I think you know the, the, this this idea of bio individual. Uh, health and wellness has never existed before, right? Like this wasn't possible even five years ago to the degree it is now. So um, this is a really new phenomena. And I think people need to understand that. And uh, that, you know, I, I think, you know, because as consumers, we've become used to like immediate gratification and, and all of these things sort of being perfect. People need to understand this whole space is so new. I mean, you know, that we're all trying to figure it out and, you know, we're all doing things a little bit differently. One of the other things I should just mention before we run out of time is for those of you looking at Biostrap, we are a cloud-based wearable company and that's a huge difference. That's why all of those data points are accessible because we take all of the data from the device. You got to sync it in the morning, send it through your smartphone to our cloud computing where we have uh, AI computing, analyzing with machine learning your data. Then we run it through a confidence algorithm where 29 different parameters are analyzed to ensure that that one data point is accurate. And if it's accurate, we report it back. If it's inaccurate or we don't have high confidence in it, then we don't even report that data point. And so that wow. takes a little bit of time. Now, in computing processing time, we're talking maybe a few minutes but that is why Biostrap doesn't give you your score in the morning in five seconds, because we need to do all of this analysis of your data. So we report back only data we have high confidence in. This is that whole accuracy piece we started with when we talked about wearables. Other wearables don't do that. They do the processing on the device, maybe a little bit on your phone and give you that instant gratification. But uh, I, you know, again, accuracy might be sacrificed for speed, not saying it always is, but this is the way we look at it at least. Wow. Super impressive. And yeah, worth the wait for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to let Renee ask our final question, but before she does that, I have a question for you. Do you have a favorite metric if you had to choose one? Yeah. Well, I mean, it has to be HRV, I guess. I know. <laughs> it's, it's too fun. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I mean, the thing about HRV is now that, you know, I've been with Biostrap for, you know, a little over two years, I've had to sort of dive into this metric and learn about it. And after two years, and I mean, I knew about it in passing before, but after two years of sort of being in a deep dive of HRV, I say with every passing day and week, I learn more. I also get a little more confused, to be honest, but I learn more. Um, and so it's really... I think one of the most fascinating things to understand that we have an insight now to the autonomic nervous system that we can quantify. And that to me is just really exciting. And for those of you people not familiar with the heart rate variability, you know, there's some amazing research and books and videos and everything you can do to dive into this metric. And I'm trying to do as much of it as I can. And, and it's still so much coming out. I can't even keep up. So it has to be yeah. HRV. Yeah, I agree. It is very, very complex, the whole topic. I did a six-week master class with Dr. Jay Wiles. And my, my jaw was just dropped like every week. I'm like, 
but <laughs> there's just so much oh, we don't Lord. even know. Yeah. And it's not always so linear either. Cause it's not always like high is good and low is bad. And every con right. every case, there's different things that happen. There's all sorts of different reasons. The HRV can sort of be impacted in different ways based upon, you know, our different neurological neuro, uh, neurophysiological responses. So it, it's, it's just a little more, it's so complex, uh, but it can also yeah. give us so much insight. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that the biostrap makes it at least easier for us to comprehend yeah. and trust. Right. Take interest, so. Yeah. Well, that's where the recovery yeah. score comes in, right? We're trying to simplify yeah. that HRV calculation, right? Combining that HRV with sleep and then just giving you one score out of a hundred. And that kind of just tells you, you know, it's easy to understand one out of a hundred, right? Like I'm at 30, if 30 is worse right. than, you know, a 60 out of a hundred in terms of where I'm recovered. So it just try to simplify that as best we can. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank awesome. you for that. <laughs> well, before we let you go, we wanted to ask one final question. If you can give our audience one piece of advice, something they can start doing today to upgrade their health, wellness, life, anything, what would that be? Uh, oh, geez. It's always, always hard. It always comes down to that one thing, right? I mean, I guess maybe since uh, we're talking about the topic is I would say start to take some self-measurements, right? And the self-measurements isn't the scale. It isn't the size of your waistline. It isn't whether you have a six pack, you know, the measurement is trying to get a little bit deeper inside your own body. You know, how do you take that measurement, right? I mean, I, we're biased, you know, bias drop. We think those biometric measurements are good, but start to measure something that is non-visual about your, your health, and start to see how you can improve that now, whatever that means, you know, um, because I think, you know, we've become so, you know, health and wellness is changing, but I think most of the history of it has been focused on that sort of superficial appearance based thing, right? Like how, how is that changing? How am I improving that? And that's my measurement of health. But, you know, again, coming back to this idea, we're all so complex. It doesn't have to be biostrap. I mean, you could look at a blood marker, right? What are your vitamin D levels at? You know, what are your hormone levels at? Uh, and and look at those and, and start thinking about how do I improve that so that I find maybe where I have a deficiency and I, I bring that up to a healthier place and look at something a little bit deeper. Great. We love quantification. So that's great advice. Thank you for that. And I'm well, sure thank you. Both, I'm sure as you both know, I mean, vitamin D levels became the best predictor of COVID outcomes, right? So vitamin yeah, people are still fighting that. I think they're insane, but <laughs> well, there's yeah. a lot of research, multiple research papers came out on this, right? So it's not, yeah. it's just not, um, yeah, that's a no brainer to us. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people don't know what their vitamin D levels are. And, you know, yeah. so maybe go look at your blood work. You probably didn't pay attention to it. You can get a vitamin D test, you know, quite easily. Look at where that's at. That's what I mean about like the internal metrics. Look at these things inside and look at what can you improve upon. There's a lot of basic uh, blood chem that doesn't even test vitamin D. I have a lot of clients that bring me their blood work. It's not on there. So then I have to write a script for it. It's crazy. That yeah. should automatically be included. And it's very often not surprising. Yeah. But And it should be, I think, every three months. That's one thing that... I personally do test every three months because it's yeah. always changing, especially yeah. seasonally. Yeah. Especially if you, yeah, if you live, like I live in Southern California, so it's easier for me to do that. But if you live, you know, North, you're both that, below the 37th parallel and I'm not. Yeah. Then you need to be supplementing, right? That's when you, Oh need, yeah. I got all more. the liposomals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great <laughs> advice. Well, 
This has been so much fun. I'm excited to continue learning more about the BioStrap. Lauren, I want to hear more about your experience. And yeah, game on. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank thank you you so much much for for sharing your time and expertise with us today. And uh, thank you to our audience for tuning in. We will send them to all of your resources. BioStrap, um, is there any platform that you feel like is, uh, I guess, the most present on that you would like to share? Um, I mean, I personally, um, I guess my LinkedIn actually is where I'm probably the most active. It's the only social media platform now that I feel, uh, inspired to spend time on personally these days. So you can look me up. Um, uh, my name, Elias Serjan, I'm the only person in the world with that name. So I'm pretty easy to find. So, awesome. people that come up with that name, I probably shouldn't say that on the podcast. I'll get inundated, but, um, <laughs> but I was, I was really honored to be invited and, uh, and to be here with you both today. So thank you so much. Thank you thank so you. much. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.